Well, good morning, Gospel Hope. Morning. It's good to be back with you once again. And as Pastor Rod already shared, we are back in our generous series from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. If you've been with us over the last several weeks, we've been talking about this idea that God intends to us, for his, his people, to pursue his mission together. And a means by which he does that is through our generosity. And we're going to see that again in this passage of Scripture very plainly, that God calls us together and to use our gifts to further his kingdom in the world. So we're going to dive into 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 5 this morning. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we will look at the text. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace towards us. I pray that we would see you afresh. Turn our eyes towards Jesus and the sacrifice that he paid for us, the generosity that you showed through him. Lord, give us your heart this morning. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from your law. In Jesus' name I pray. All God's people said, amen. How many of you watched a little football on Thanksgiving Day or maybe yesterday? Who watched football? Okay, very good. You know if you have watched a football game in recent years that kind of part and parcel of watching the game is what we have come to know as the instant replay, right? Just part of watching a football game. They're going to replay things to make sure they get the right call. But did you know this was not always the case? Instant replay was introduced into football in 1986 in the NFL. But the first time instant replay really made a big difference in a game was in 1989 when my beloved Chicago Bears, I'm embarrassed, I know, it's very sad, we've been terrible for a really long time, played the despicable team from Green Bay, known as the Packers. That's inbred into my Chicago nativeness, like we hate the Packers a lot. So I want to show you just a clip from that game and when Instant Replay became famous. Here it is right here. Turn your attention to the screen. As a Bears fan, I love that look right there of the, the disappointment on the Packers' face. But it didn't last long because shortly after that came out, guess what came over this loudspeaker? After further review, the play is a touchdown. Packers win, Bears lose, I cry. Um, it's terrible. Uh, 
you say, Ryan, why do you bring that up? Well, well here's why. Instant replay has now become like part of every sporting experience. Um, tennis, basketball, hockey. Um, they probably got it in golf somehow. I mean, there's just instant replay everywhere. But, but why? Why is it helpful? Because here's what instant replay does. It slows the action down enough so that things that weren't plain to you with the naked eye become clear. I bring that up this morning because in this passage, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 5, it seems almost like Paul is doing an instant replay on giving. He slows it down and breaks down what actually happens when God's people give so that we see with greater clarity what's going on. And that's really a needed reminder because here's the reality. Oftentimes when we give or when we think about generosity, we tend to think of it as just a ordinary transaction. What do I mean by that? It's like you pay your electric bill check. Like it's just a transaction that happens. Maybe you got a direct deposit set up. Maybe it's uh, on your credit card. It just happens week in, month in, month out, happens. You give it no thought. You go to the restaurant and you eat your food and you expect the waiter or the waitress at the end to bring you your ticket and you pay your ticket. You don't give it any thought whatsoever. It's just something that you do that's part and parcel of going through. You don't give it thought. You don't reflect on it. It simply happens. I fear we can sometimes think about giving to God and the local church in the same way. Just a transaction. You just press the little button on our smartphone. We write a check. We drop it in there. Some of you guys are too young. You don't even know what a check is. We just do the thing, we drop it in the, in the box, and then we go on. But can I tell you something? I think based on the testimony of God's word, that giving or generosity was never intended to just be a transaction. Our giving is not simply transactional, it's transformational. That is, when God calls his people to give, he wants to do something in them and through them that is more than just transferring funds from your account to the church's account. It's not just a final transaction. It is spiritual transformation that is supposed to happen in that moment. And when you read through the testimony of scripture, that becomes really evidently the case. In the days of King Joash, King Joash took up an offering. And what happened as a result of God's people giving? Well, the temple got rebuilt. The priests were encouraged. In fact, the nations around Israel stood up and took notice because the people were giving generously to see this edifice built again. You go to the New Testament and you see the famous story of the little boy who gave his lunch to Jesus. What happens in that story? Thousands of people are fled when it goes into the hands of the master. The disciples are amazed at who God is and what he is doing through the work of Jesus in that story. And today, thousands of years later, in Sunday schools all across the nation and the world, we're retelling the story about the generosity of a little boy. God was doing something in and through them. In this passage of scripture, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, God calls the Corinthians and the Macedonians to give to the offering for the saints at Jerusalem. And what happens? The Jerusalem people, their needs are met. The Macedonians and the Corinthians are encouraged. And today, hundreds of years later, we're opening up God's word and hearing the story about the generosity of God's people and being encouraged through it. 
Let's not underestimate what can happen through our giving. It's not just a transaction. God intends to tr transform his people through their acts of generosity. And here's the amazing thing. <laughs> the God of heaven, he is infinitely rich. You know, God has never had a need. Did you know that? God has never had a need because he is complete and sufficient in himself. Never ever in the world has had a need. He doesn't need us to carry out his mission. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our resources. But here's the reality. That though God does not need us, he invites us to participate in his work in the world. That is incredible. That is incredible. The infinitely rich God, though he could work without us, he chooses to work through us. God has every resource to do all that he wants in the world. Amen, do you agree with that? God has every resource. He has everything at his disposal. And yet he says, you know what? Instead of just doing it on my own, I'm gonna invite my people to participate in my work in carrying out my mission. That's awesome. The fact that God would allow us to, through our generosity, participate in what he is doing in the world is breathtaking, which leads me to my point this morning. We must trust that the Lord is at work through our generosity. We need to trust that. When we give, we need to trust God is working through this act of generosity. So what can we expect God to do when we give? I wanna slow down the tape, I think Paul does that for us, and look at this text and see three things that happen when God's people give. Three nuances that maybe you miss with the naked eye. So I want you to slow down just a little bit, aim your brain, and see what the Lord does when his people give. So an instant replay of generosity if you're taking notes at home. Number one, generosity rises from eagerness. This is what we see in the text. Generosity rises from eagerness. You say, what do you mean by that, Ryan? Well, look down at verse um, number one in 2 Corinthians chapter nine. Now concerning the ministry of the saints, so this is the offering that Paul is collecting, it is not, it is unnecessary for me to write to you, for I know your eagerness and I boast about you to the Macedonians. A KI has been ready since last year. All right, you need a little context to understand what's happening there. So there's a famine or something going on in Jerusalem where the saints there, the believers there are hurting. So Paul kind of goes on a journey and he talks to the other churches, the ones in Macedonia. That's churches like Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. He goes to them and he says, hey guys, I need you to take up a collection because I'm gonna take some money back to Jerusalem. And they're like, oh yeah, that's great. We'll participate. And he says, hey, by the way, the church at Corinth in Achaia, that's where Corinth is. Like if Corinth is a city, Achaia is kind of state. He's like, Achaia, they're ready. I mean, I'm telling you, they are jazzed up about giving. And the Macedonians are like, yeah, let's do it then. So they're giving money and Paul is now making his way down to Corinth, getting ready to collect this offering. So that's what's going on. 
And did you notice what it says? Look there at the verse again, verse number one. Now concerning the ministry of the saints, it is unnecessary for me to write to you, verse two, for I know your, what's it say? Okay, again, for I know your, one more time, for I know your. So Paul, in urging the Corinthians to give, is not writing to a reluctant group. They're not like stingy. They're not like, oh man, we, do we have to? The text actually says that they're eager to participate. They want to give. They're eager to give, which reminds us of a critical principle. Before God works through us, he usually works in us. Before God works through us, he usually works in us. You say, what do you mean by that, Ryan? Sometimes we think about giving in this way. I'm going to give because I want to make an impact or bless other people, right? And that, that's good and that's true. Does God use your gifts to bless other people? Yes or no? Yes, absolutely. But what is also true is sometimes God invites us to give because he wants to work in you. Your giving is not so much about what it's gonna do out there. Sometimes you're giving about what God wants to do in here. He wants to transform us through our own generosity and change us and shape us through our generosity. And I think that's what he's saying about the Corinthians. Folks, these folks are eager to give which means before they even put the money in the plate, God had already done a work in their heart. They were eager to participate in the mission and the work of God. So before God gets a hold of your pocketbook, guess what? He's got to get a hold of your heart. And sometimes the reason that we don't give very generously, it's not a finance problem. It's actually a heart problem. These folks were captured by God. They were captured by his work. And so they're like, sign us up. They were not saying, do we have to give? They were not saying, how much do we have to give? They were saying, can we give? When can we give? When can we participate? My desire in my heart and my desire for our church is we would be a group of people that is eager, that is eager to participate in the mission and the work of God. We want to give, not because we have to. We want to give because we love God and we love the expansion of his kingdom and his work in the world and we want to participate in that. <laughs> we often believe that the Lord uses our generosity to impact others, which is definitely true. But we must not miss the fact that God often uses our generosity to impact us. One of the most often quoted verses in the Bible about giving is over in Matthew chapter 6, verse number 21. Here's what it says. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. You know, I think a lot of times we get this verse exactly backwards. We think where our heart is, our treasure will follow. Like what you love, you give to. And that's true. That is a true principle. But that's not what Matthew 6 verse 21 says. Did you catch it? Look again at it. It says, where your what? Treasure is, there your heart will also be. Here's what this verse is teaching. Your heart 
will follow your money. In one sense, where your treasure goes, your heart trails along behind it. So, so here's the encouragement. If you say, Pastor Ryan, man, I want to be eager. I want to be about the kingdom of God. I want to be about the expansion of the kingdom of God and care for his people. Here's my encouragement based on what I think is the principle of scripture. Start giving. Start giving. Because when you start giving to something, according to the Bible, where your treasure is, what happens to your heart? It follows. It follows. Let me give you an example of this not related to giving to the church or Christian causes or anything like this. Do we have any people that trade or, or buy stocks? Anybody buy stocks in here? This is not a condemnation. Like, I'm not going to hunt you down or anything like that. Yes. Now, now, here's the thing. If somebody is trading in the stock market, they are buying and selling stocks. You'll be talking to them. And then for some reason, they'll start talking about a company completely unrelated to the field that they work on. You ever had this phenomenon happen before? This person is investing in some stock and all of a sudden they get interested in this company that they're invested in. Why? Because their heart followed their money. They get interested in this company because they're invested quite literally in it. And can I say this is exactly what Jesus is teaching in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21? If you want to be invested in the kingdom of God with your heart, get invested in the kingdom of God with your funds. And then your heart will begin to be stirred up in that. That's what happened to the Corinthians, I believe. They were eager to give because they loved the work and the mission of God. Some of you hear this description of the Corinthians' eagerness and say, you know what? If I were to use words that would describe my giving to the local church, to mission causes, to Christian things that I want to see go forward, the word eagerness would not be among the adjectives that I would choose. How do I get there? I think the way that we get there is because we begin to ask the Lord to grip our hearts when this happens, the Corinthians learns that when you begin to see generosity is far more than a religious obligation, it is a remarkable opportunity. Do you view giving as something that you must do? Or do you view giving as something that is a tremendous opportunity that you get to do? That's what happened to the Corinthians. They were eager to give because something happened in their heart and they're like, please, let us give. We are eager to participate in this. Paul, sign us up. That's my desire for my life. That's my desire for all of us, that we would be a church that is eager, eager to participate in what God is doing in the world through our generosity. Number two, when we slow the tape down, not only do we see that generosity requires, or I'm sorry, generosity rises from eagerness, but number two, we see generosity results in encouragement. Look at verse number two again. For I know your eagerness, and I boast about it to the Macedonians. So Paul's saying to the Corinthians, I know about how you guys feel. I'm telling the other churches about this. And then he says, Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. So think about what's happening here. Paul goes to the Macedonians and he says, guys, 
Let me tell you about the brothers and sisters over in Achaia. They are so excited about giving to this offering. They are so thrilled about it that Macedonians are like, man, that is so encouraging. We want to participate too. Their zeal actually stirred up the Macedonians to behave in a similar way. The Corinthian generosity spurred the Macedonians towards generosity. In fact, do you know that this is not the only place in Scripture where we are called to stir one another up or to provoke one another? Actually, over in Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 24, here's what it says. And let us consider one another in order to, what's the word? Provoke one another. In other words, Christians are supposed to be provocative. Now, I don't mean this in the way that we're supposed to like be edgy or say shocking things or try to really always be on the cutting edge of everything. I don't think that what this passage is saying is that. It's rather, there is a sense in which our behavior and our lives together are to provoke one another to behave in different ways. Have you ever been on a sports team or in a work environment where there is an individual on the, uh, on the team that behaves in such a way that it makes everybody else wanna be better? You ever been on one of those? Like I played basketball growing up and in basketball, it's the guy that comes in the game and I mean, they're just playing hard defense all the time. Or if there's a loose ball on the ground, they're diving on it. And all of a sudden, this one individual, by their effort, by their hustle, provokes the rest of the team to step it up a little bit. You ever been in a workplace environment where somebody is working and they just, they just outwork everybody? Or they're extra kind to everybody and you're like, oh man, I wanna be like that person. Do you know that's, that's part of the reason why God puts us in the local church? God puts us together in local churches so that we are exposed to people that are actually more godly than us in particular areas so that it raises the bar of all of us. We are supposed to get around other people that excel in areas that we don't excel and all of a sudden say, that's what good looks like. Can I ask a little survey question here? Are you encouraged or discouraged? Multiple choice, it's an easy test, ready? Encouraged or discouraged when you see somebody in corporate worship like praising their head off, are you encouraged or discouraged? Encouraged. Even if you're an introvert, are you encouraged or discouraged? Introverts are like, I'm not saying, that's it, I'm not saying. You're encouraged. Are you encouraged or discouraged when you see Somebody serving week in, week out, faithfully, consistently, regularly. Are you encouraged or discouraged? Encouraged. Are you encouraged or discouraged when you see somebody faithfully kind of manning their row at church, even though you know their life is falling apart? Are you encouraged or discouraged by that? That's provocative. You're provoking people. We can be better, we can grow, we can be more like Jesus, we can change, you can do this, grow in this area. Sometimes we underestimate, I think often we underestimate in our individualist American society, we underestimate the impact that our actions have on other people. Listen, we need to understand that we have the power to provoke one another to love and good works. Here's the thing though, 
as, as we have the power to encourage people, do you know we also have the power to discourage people? Look at the verse it's right here in the passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 3. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you in this matter would not prove empty. So he's telling the Corinthians, hey, guys, you got to follow through on what you're talking about or else our boasting. I've been talking about, I've been talking you up to the Macedonians. And now I'm sending an envoy there. Man, I don't want to disappoint the Macedonians in this. And so that you would be ready, just as I said. Otherwise, if the Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, would be put to shame in that situation. In other words, the Corinthians, by their actions, had the power to encourage the Macedonians, and they also had the power to discourage the Macedonians. Their actions had the power to either encourage or discourage. Maybe this seems self-evident to you, but I think we need to say this very plainly. Like, you can't live in isolation. I'm not saying that like you won't thrive in isolation. I'm just saying you can't do it. Your actions will either help or hurt someone. That's unavoidable. It's kind of like, you know, I have eight children. It's kind of like if one of my children said, you know, dad, nothing personal. We just out. We don't want anything to do with you. We don't, you know, we're gone. And they just gone. And, and, and there is no way in my heart I could say, oh, that's no big deal. That's fine. They got to live their life. They got to do their own thing. There's no way their siblings would be able to just say, oh, that's no problem. No, we don't miss them. It's fine. It's cool. They got to do their own thing. Why do we think that about Christianity? That like we could just live in isolation and not hurt or harm other people. And Paul's saying, man, you guys said you're going to come through. You got to come through. Because if you don't come through, you're going to break the Macedonian's heart. You're going to hurt the Macedonians, and you're going to discourage us in this process. I know that's a hard word, but that's in the Bible, y'all. Paul wasn't afraid to just say, like, look, your actions impact other people for good or for ill. You cannot live in isolation. Let me say it this way. Christianity is inescapably corporate. It's inescapably corporate. You are part of something larger than yourself. And your actions will either encourage your brothers or sisters or discourage your brothers or sisters by the way you respond. We are a team. We are a family. We're a body. We're a temple. We're a nation. And listen, we rise and fall together. That's just the nature of how God created it. So here's my encouragement. Let's be a provocative group of people. Let's be a group of people that is committed to making everyone better. Let's be a group of people by our actions and our attitudes that dig in and say, I am going to help all the boats in the harbor rise by my commitment to be more like Jesus. Because I know when I commit to be more like Jesus, I'm actually going to encourage other people to be more like Jesus. So when we sing... Let's sing our guts out. Because we're not just singing to the Lord. We want to sing in such a way that we encourage other people. And when we serve, 
Let's serve with joy and consistency and faithfulness because it's not an obligation. It's an opportunity to bless other people, to bless the little ones, to bless our guests, to bless our church family. Let's serve in such a way that it's actually compelling. When we listen to God's word being taught, let's lean in. Let's jot some things down. Not because you need a stroke, rod, or eyes, ego. I mean, his ego is already humongous. I don't know what to do with it. I'm just kidding. No, because we want to listen in such a way that it's actually compelling, that it makes it seem like to others that the message that we're hearing is life-changing and has the power to transform us on a fundamental level. Let's provoke one another to love and good works. Let's be a group of people that is intentionally by our actions encouraging. Let's give. Let's give in such a way that our generosity and consistency blesses people and makes it feel as if the thing that we are giving to is worth giving your life for. I think that's what it means to be provocative. Let's stir one another up. Man, it's not just about me. It's not just about you. The way you live impacts other people. We need to keep that in mind because Paul lays that on pretty heavy here. It's like, look, guys, if you don't follow through, you are going to harm the other churches. Follow through. Not because I'm trying to strong arm you, but I'm trying to tell you that you are intricately connected to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Generosity can result in tremendous encouragement. Man, COVID took a lot from us, right? One of the things that it took from the church is the tradition of passing the plates. I think we're poorer for it a little bit. You know, I grew up going to church with my mom and dad. And I remember, you know, seeing the offering plate get passed. Even as just like a little one, offering plate gets passed. And mom and dad, week in, week out, they put something in the offering, you know. And before too long, guess what I'm doing? You know, here comes the plate. You know, the ushers, they're coming up the aisles. I'm doing this number. Mom. Mom. I mean, like, it was a little church, so I'm sure, like, the pastor could hear me from the stage. Like, Mom, can I have some money? She would give me some money, and I would put it in the plate. And that, that was, like, so exciting to me. Because I felt like, even though it wasn't even my money, that somehow I was participating in the work of the church. What was happening? My mom and dad, by just putting their offering in the plate, was provoking me. And I think we need to just figure out what that looks like, at least in our hearts. I'm not saying you need to come up to the offering box now and be like, I am giving my offering right now. Everybody turn and pay attention to me. I don't think that's biblical or godly. But I do think there should be, in a sense... When we give, we are thinking, man, this is not just about kind of a transaction between me and the Lord, but this is me giving to the Lord's work so that I can also encourage other people. I don't know if that's meaning when you press that little button, you pray a little bit. Or if you walk up here, you're just saying, Lord, would you use this? Or God, thank you for letting me be a part of this. I think we need to consciously think about our giving as a means of blessing and encouraging the body of Christ. We want all the ships in the harbor to rise. Number three, generosity not only rises from eagerness, generosity not only 
results in encouragement, but generosity requires execution. What do I mean by this? Well, Paul slows down the footage one more time and helps us see what it takes to really be generous. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 5. Therefore, I considered it necessary to urge the brothers, so this is the envoy Paul is sending to Corinth, to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance the generous gift you promised so that it will be ready as a gift and not as an extortion. Hmm. Think what's happening here? Paul is reminding the Corinthians that generosity requires execution. Paul believes that the Corinthians have every intention to give. He's made that clear. He's not questioning their intentions. He said repeatedly, I've actually boasted to you, boasted about you to the Macedonians. I believe that you guys intend on coming through. And yet something is missing. They haven't given yet. They intend to give, but it hasn't happened yet. And so Paul says, look guys, if your intentions are gonna come to reality, you have to actually execute the plan. You can't have just good vibes in your heart. You can't just feel a certain way and be very grateful to be generous. You actually have to carry out and follow through on what you said you intended to do. This reminds us of an important idea. Listen very carefully. Having good intentions is not the same as having godly character. Faithfully following the Lord often requires discipline and follow-through. You can say you intend to read your Bible, but it doesn't really make any impact on you unless you do what? Read your Bible. And in order to do that, you usually got a plan. You can say, I intend to serve, but you really don't bless anybody until what? You serve. The same is true of giving. You can say, I intend, I have every intention of being a generous person. I want to be a person that is really generous to the kingdom of God. Yet until you give, it's just good intentions. Good intentions is not the same thing as having godly character. Um, Jesus talks about this idea over in one of his parables. Here's what he says. Look up at the screen. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, My son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I don't want to. But later, he changed his mind and went. Then the man went to the other and said the same thing. I will, sir, he answered, but he didn't go. So first son says, I don't want to go, and then he ends up going. Second son says, I want to go, but he doesn't go. Which of the two did his father's will? And they said, what's the answer? The first. At the end of the day, it is not what we say that we are going to do that matters, but what we actually do. I think what 2 Corinthians 9 verse 5 makes clear is that generosity involves intentionality. Generosity involves intentionality. Just like with other decisions that we make in our life, if we intend to be generous, we have to plan to be generous. 
We have to have a plan and then we have to execute on that plan. I know in my life, like, look, I bow to the idol of Google Calendar. I really do. If it's not on my calendar, guess what? It don't happen. It just don't happen. And if you don't have a plan to be generous, guess what? It won't happen. Good intentions, they go away. But when we have purpose and plan and godly follow through and discipline, it makes a tremendous difference in our lives and in the eyes of others. So you may be a person that you're saying, man, I I have every intent and desire to be generous, but maybe you haven't followed through on it. Others of you may have been giving generously for years, and this has become a routine in your life, and yet it's maybe become a little bit rote for you. I want to offer you just kind of three action items here to help us all grow in generosity and remember that God is working through our generosity. Three things, they all start with P. Ready? First thing is this, pray. I think if we're going to grow in generosity, the first thing we need to do is get on our knees and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to participate? For many Christians, 10% has been a great benchmark. If you have questions about what the Bible teaches about this, Pastor Rod or I or Pastor Eddie, we would be delighted to talk to you and help you wrestle with this idea of what it means to be a generous steward of what God has entrusted you. But you gotta go to the Lord first. Man, we need to have a prayerful response to saying, Lord, you've entrusted me with resources. How do I steward them for your glory? So pray, step one. Number two, plan, plan. Just as Paul said, hey, guys, before I get there, I want you to put together the money in advance. He said, have a plan, basically. And if we're going to be generous, we need to plan to be generous. I don't know what that looks like in your life. Maybe it looks like signing up for some sort of direct deposit. Maybe it means writing the check in advance. I don't know. Maybe it means budgeting so you get yourself in the right position. I'm not sure what it looks like in your life, but I do know this. If we, if we uh, what's the old adage? If we fail to plan, we plan to what? Fail, fail. We've got to have a plan if we're going to really be free to be generous with our gifts. Man, I'll tell you, I have had conversations with people before. This is no lie. They have come to me with their giving statement and said, Pastor Ryan, is this all I gave? And I'll be like, well, I mean, that's what it says right there. But I wanted to give a lot more. I'm like, yeah, but you... You didn't, like you didn't give a lot more. I'm not judging you, I'm simply saying, here's the statement, here is the bank reality. I don't want you to get to the end of the year and be like, man, I had a really good plan to be, a really good desire to be generous. And then you look at your giving statement and you're like, oh, wow, I was not that generous because you didn't have a plan to do so. That may sound funny to some of you type A people, but type B and C people, you're like, oh yeah, that's me. Yeah, we need to have a plan if we're going to grow in our generosity in that way. Number three, praise. Um, Here's what I mean by this. Giving is an act of worship. Here's a pet peeve of mine. I I don't care. It doesn't bother me really. But oftentimes, what do we call, who was up here? James and Jesse and Brooke and Isaiah and Julian were up there on the stage. And we usually call that group of people the what? Worship team. I don't got a problem with it really, not really. But the reality is, is yes, that is, they're leading us in corporate worship in singing. It's really cumbersome. 
But you know what we ought to be doing right now? Worshiping. Worshiping the Lord through listening to his word. And you know what we ought to do when we give our offering? We ought to be worshiping the Lord through giving. All of it is worship because all of it is about uh, exalting the name of the Lord. So when we give, there really should be a sense in like, man, when you put that check in the box, there's a sense in which you're saying, praise the Lord. May your name be honored. May your name be exalted by this gift that I'm putting on there. When you press the little button on your phone and you're giving, there ought to be like, hallelujah. The name of the Lord is to be praised. He is great. I am worshiping him for his character and his name and giving live little meager first fruits as a humble way to show his character and his worth. So when you give, praise God, exalt him, magnify him. And it don't stop there. It doesn't stop with the act of giving. It continues on because you're saying, oh Lord, you have invited me, even though you absolutely do not need me, you have invited me to participate in your great work in saving the world. I am able to support missionaries and church planners and support our children being discipled. And this building, in a sense, so that people who don't know you can hear about you and have a place to come and worship you. I'm supporting all of that for, for you. What a privilege. What an honor it is to give to God. We should praise if we want to grow in our generosity. You just make this little offering box a house of worship over here. Where we are just exalting the Lord through our generosity. Pray and plan and then just praise your socks off. Praise the Lord for inviting us to participate in what he is doing in the world. It is so humbling to me. that God would use us to do his eternal work. And here's the thing. Why does God do all this? Why does he invite us in this? Look, he don't need your money, but he wants your heart. He wants your heart. And when you give, your heart begins to follow your money. So give generously. Give graciously, give full of worship in your heart and you will begin to see God capture more and more and more of your affections. Well, here's the amazing thing about all of this. You might hear it and say, man, Pastor Ryan, I, I've just never been exposed to this kind of clear talk about money and generosity. And it's challenging. I've never thought about things in that way. I'm not really sure I can change in this way or be this type of person. Is there any hope for me to really grow in my generosity? The answer is yes. Here's why. Because God's generosity to us enables our generosity to others. It's a key statement. God's generosity to us enables our generosity to others. No one exemplifies generosity more than the Lord himself. What's the most famous verse in the Bible? John 3, 16. Let's look at it together. For God so loved the world that he, what? Gave. 
gave. The overflow of the heart of God was generosity to his people. Listen, let me ask you a couple questions going back to the message right now. Was God eager to give? The answer is yes. The Bible says he so loved, he so loved the world that he gave his first and his best, his one and only son. He was eager. He was eager to rescue the world. The heart of God is a heart of generosity. Did, did the generosity of God encourage other people? Oh my friends, there's never been a more encouraging act in all of the world. God gave his son so that anyone and everyone who would ever believe in the work of Christ would be saved forever, eternally. That one act of generosity of the father displayed his incredible desire for all the ships in the harbor to rise. He wanted to encourage every single one who would ever trust in Jesus. And did God execute on his desire? God's love for the world was not just good intention. God sent his son to a humble stable, lived the life we should have died, lived and died the death we should have died. And he did not flinch from literally, listen, executing his son. God executed his plan in perfection. His heart of generosity flows to all of us. Look, God's generosity is not sentiment. It's sacrifice. He didn't just have good feelings towards us. He moved towards us in generosity. No one exemplifies generosity more than the Lord himself. But look, that's not all. Not only does the work of Christ exemplify generosity for us, it also empowers our own generosity. Well, how does that work? Well, think about it for a minute. If you have Christ, if you have the pearl of great price, the treasure worth selling everything for, what more do you need? If you've trusted in the work of Jesus, every single believer is infinitely rich in all the ways that actually matter. So what does that mean? We're free. We're free to give. We're free to be generous because we have all that we need in Christ. Now, I am not minimizing in any way our actual physical, tangible needs. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying this that Christ was sent into the world to show us what generosity looks like and then to empower us to live free from the pull of money in our lives. Jesus died to make us free in the ways that matter. Man, so I wanna encourage us, let's be a church that provokes one another to love and good deeds. Let's be a church that gives generously because we have been the recipients of the ultimate generosity in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Let's let the world stand up and take notice because we are so generous because they're like, what are they all about? They are sacrificing in ways that seem to, to, to indicate that the thing that they are giving to matters most to them. And look, 
Now, I'll tell you this. Pastor Rod and I, the elders, we're not trying to get your money. Look, if you hear all this and you're like, man, I want to give, but I don't want to give to this local church, fine. It's fine. Give it somewhere else. Just give it. Because God doesn't want to take something from you. He wants to give something to you through your generosity. He wants to transform you from the inside out. And I'll just tell you from my own experience and from what I believe is the testimony of God's word, one of the most life transforming things, if you will begin to give in a way that is stretching and sacrificial and systematic, God will meet you in profound ways. I just promise that. Let's be a church that provokes one another to love and good deeds and believes deeply that God is at work through our generosity. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for how you speak to us through it. Thank you for even this challenging word this morning. But Lord, I rejoice and I praise you for the person and work of Jesus Christ. You didn't hold him back. You gave your first and best so that we could be free. Lord, help us to lean into this this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to sing in worship in just a moment, but I'm going to ask the prayer team to move right now. If you're on the prayer team, could you step to the back? And as we stand and sing, I don't know, maybe the Lord's doing some work in your heart. He's stretching you in a particular area. Maybe you're saying, man, I need a change in this area. I just need to, I need to take the first step. Man, folks would love to pray with you. Maybe you hear this and you're like, man, I've never received that gift of Jesus that you were talking about. I have questions. I'd like to learn more. Man, they would love to pray with you. These folks are here. They're standing by. They would love to encourage you. They would love to be a blessing to you. So if you need some prayer about any area, they're standing by in the back. Let's stand on our feet and worship the God who gave.